Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. See, Satan doesn't like to work. He's good at what he does, but he doesn't like to work for it. And what happens is if you keep calling him out, eventually you get too expensive for him to mess with. And he is going to go on to an easier mark. How do I know that? It says if you'll resist him, he will flee. We hope you find this message encouraging. There's so many people in this day and time. Times have changed so much. We've talked about it during this message. Even in the last decade, the last 10 years, if we jumped in the Wayback Machine, went back to the big old year 2008, uh, things have changed immensely. Technology has abounded in that 10 years. Uh, if you haven't caught any of these messages, you can go catch them on Facebook. Zach, make sure and post them there and uh, so you can catch those. But essentially, uh, we've got to take the church out there. That was always the plan. If you realize in the beginning, there wasn't even church buildings. They met in the synagogues and in people's homes. And the church was the people, still is the people. It's not a building. And they carried it with them. And they were ready at the drop of a hat. Even when they didn't have anything to give, when the beggar asked, you know, Peter, uh, could you give me something to help me out here? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. Rise up and walk. Amen. How many of you know that was worth more than any silver or gold he could give him? We ought to be out there every day. Taking it with us, making the connection. People in this day and time don't attend church like they used to. Uh, as we shared through this whole series, what, 25 years ago, about 90% of the U.S. would have said, yes, I belong to that church. It might have been the Christmas and Easter only crowd. I talked to a guy this week. This is, if I'm lying, I'm dying. We were talking about church, and I said something about the CEOs, and he said, what's that? And he said, I said, the Christmas and Easter only crowd. And he said, that's the reason I only go on Easter. <laughs> I said, that's, no, 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 no. Take it to the other end of the spectrum. So <laughs> uh, he was the EO and not just the CEO. So uh, the thing that we've got to do is realize that we're the church and that we have the message. We have the good news, and we've got to... Go out there and make the connection between people that are far from God and who God wants in his kingdom. Amen. So we're the connection. So we've been looking at connecting. Uh, made a little acrostic. Uh, my wife hates acrostic sermons, but that's the way my brain thinks. So you have to deal with it. She'll have to deal with it. <laughs> Making a connection. The C is communicate the word of God. I don't remember whose quote it was, but it's become mine. You know how those things go. The first time you say, so-and-so said this the second time you say uh, I heard and then the third time you say I always say so I always say preach the gospel always using words only when necessary we've got to communicate the good news the good news is God cares about them God's not against them God's for them and, and he wants them in a place of, of preference in his kingdom that's our communication that's the good news what's good news to the blind person, you don't have to be blind. To the sick person, you don't have to be sick. To the, to the poor person, the person that's financially under it, you don't have to be that way. God's got a plan for all of that, amen? And so what we've got to do is communicate that, that good news. The O, open the doors of fellowship. We have to be inclusive, not exclusive. For far, far, far too long, the church has been exclusive. 
excluding people that weren't just like us, didn't talk like us, act like us, smell like us. We've got to open those doors. The end, navigate by faith. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what Ms. Emma was talking about a while ago. We've got to realize God's in control of this thing. The second end in connecting is network the body of Christ. In other words, we don't need to do everything that everybody else is doing. If you find a good ministry, if we as a church find a good ministry that's doing something, we don't need to duplicate it. We need to sow into their field. Amen? All right. E, embrace biblical principles. Remember, if you don't remember anything else out of this one, remember Bible, basic instruction before leaving earth. Okay, B-I-B-L-E. God's got a plan. Whatever you're going through, God knows about it. Whatever you're wondering about, God's got an answer for it. Amen? So we've got to embrace those principles. Sometimes they they go against society's thoughts today, but God's got a reason for having them. Amen? Let's see. Uh, Celebrate Christ in worship. That's what worship's about. Worship is not about us. It's about him. Amen. Our preferences could matter very little in comparison to what his preferences are. As I have shared with you, sometimes we, sometimes we worship our worship instead of worshiping Christ. Sometimes we get all hung up in what song's playing and what's, you know, everything about it. And we've got to realize what we want, what we desire is, is, matters very little in worship. We've got to celebrate Christ. It's all about him. Somebody say amen. The T, testify through our actions. We have to tie our belief and our behavior together. Boom, drop the mic. I, invest in the kingdom. This is about following God's financial plan for our lives, and he's got a big one. Jesus, when he was here on this earth, if you realize and go down, get down and study it, he talked about finances just about as much as anything in human life. Why? Because it's important to us all. Amen. We all deal with it, and he's got a plan for that as well. So, the end, and this is where we take up where we got to. We have to nullify the works of the enemy. And far too many times what we do is we don't spend our time nullifying the works of the enemy. We spend our time magnifying the works of the enemy. Because, see, here's, here's where Satan gets involved. And, and there's two ways, really three ways, to look at Satan. One is that's a bunch of hogwash. He doesn't exist. You'll talk to people in this day and time that will flat out tell you God doesn't exist, Satan doesn't exist, there's no such thing as good and evil. Eh, wrong answer. It all started way back a long time before us. And the thing is that we have to come to the realization that God is all-powerful and he made Satan. So Satan's not more powerful than him. God overcomes. We know in the end God wins. If you hadn't read the last chapter of the book, we win. Amen. Hate to be a spoiler alert there, but uh, we win. God is in charge of this thing. But here's, here's what some people do. They magnify the works of the enemy, and Satan does everything. There's a devil behind every bush and a demon behind every tree, and everything that happens, if they, if they run out of gas, Satan did it. It wasn't the fact that you forgot and drove by the gas station four times when you were supposed to be buying gas. Amen. It was... That he did it. Devil made me do it. How many of you remember that one? <laughs> and what we got to realize, Satan's allowed to do some things. And ultimately, everything that goes on bad in this world, 
until God comes and makes it all right again, does trace back to him. All sickness, disease, illness, everything that we experience negatively in human life, it all runs back to him. Why? Because he hated God so bad. And he actually, I've said this for many, many years, Satan had eye trouble. I don't mean he needed prescription lenses. He had eye trouble because he said, I will ascend to the throne of God and I will put myself in his place and I will be like the most high only to get the slap down of the centuries. Amen. Centuries. Uh, He couldn't accomplish it. So what is his next best thing? He lost his place in heaven. He was an angel who was appointed with we can theorize, to to lead worship. That ought to kind of trace those problems all the way back. I I met a preacher one time, and he said, when Satan fell from heaven, he landed in my choir. (laughs) And no reflection on Zach, because Zach and I are on the same page. But I'm going to tell you something. There is a lot of times that's where the trouble starts. Just putting it out there like it is. And so what we've got to realize is he lost a place in heaven. He was beautiful, probably one of the most beautiful things in creation. And whenever, whenever sin entered in and pride entered into his heart and he was cast down, he has become something so terribly ugly. In fact is, we make him out to be this huge big thing that he's everywhere, but he's not like God. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-powerful. He's not everywhere at the same time. He is limited to time and space just like we are. So he can't be everywhere at one time. Only one-third of the angels followed him in rebellion, so that means that there's two-thirds that are still on God's side. Amen? And we have the Holy Spirit, and greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. That's what that's talking about. If Jesus has overcome, we're going to overcome. But what happens is, we sometimes, we, the devil comes in and, and he helps us. Because what we start doing is everything we see becomes all of a sudden, it's a whole bunch more than we thought it was. Because see, here's those pretty little goldfish. Ah! Oh my goodness, that thing's as big as a shark. Somebody says one little thing. Well, what do they mean by that? All of a sudden, it gets way, way, way bigger. They probably didn't mean anything by it until you get that out. And you start really putting the eyeball to it. And we can, sometimes we can conjure up stuff that, that, that there wasn't anything behind it at all. And so what happens is we begin to, we begin to magnify the works of the enemy. He gets involved. And so, yep. Just like I thought. We start navel gazing. Looking at our navel. And you know what? When we're navel gazing, we're not doing what God called us to do. Anytime we're sitting down, navel gazing, and the only time that we ever look up is to be critical, guess what? We're not busy. We're not doing what God called us to do. And instead of nullifying the works of the enemy, we have begun to magnify the works of the enemy. 
And so what we've got to do is realize that God knew all about this. And in fact, is in his word, he even put a plan about it. Because see, sometimes this, this has happened lately even. There was, there was a, a, a situation, not going to name names or talk about anything that anybody would catch on to. But on Sunday morning, I mean, I hadn't even much more cleared the door and somebody jumps on me about the smallest of things. I mean, if I told you what it was literally about, you would say, you've got to be kidding me. And so I just kind of got out from under that, and I look around, and the same person got Zach cornered up about the same thing. Amen? Zach, Zach will back me up. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it's like, here we are. We're coming in here on Sunday morning, and my job is to proclaim the gospel. I don't need the negative, especially if it's something, you know, major. If it's like, hey, the, the water line's busted in there and it's flooding the bathroom. Okay, let's, let's take care of that real quick, and then we'll get in here to business. Zach's, Zach's getting ready to lead us into the throne room of God in worship. And, and do you realize, I laughed out loud about it. I told Zach, I said, this is such a blatant attack from the devil. It is laughable. And, and what we have to do is identify that. Whenever you look at a situation and you say, this is so outright in your face, Satan trying to derail something. You know, the word's very, very clear about it. It tells us in Proverbs chapter 6, if you catch a thief in the act of stealing. So what was he stealing there? He was stealing peace. He was stealing joy possibly stealing a service around when we didn't enter into the throne of God because if Zach allowed that to affect him, if he's pondering all that during while he's up there leading worship, he's not entering into worship. He's thinking about that other thing. If I get up here to proclaim the gospel and in the back of my mind, it's like, how dare that person come up and do this right before service? Then I'm distracted. I'm not going to enter in. I'm not going to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I'm listening to that little voice that we've all got in the back of our head that's saying, I can't believe they did that. You ever had one of those moments? But Proverbs chapter 6 says, if you catch a thief in the act of stealing, you, you can make him pay it back sevenfold, seven times what he stole. If you catch a thief, this is, this is, and if you'll read Proverbs and Leviticus and everything and going through the Bible this year, that's about where I'm at in the laying down of all the law. If you'll look at that and realize how much of our modern day law, justice system, came directly out of God's word, you will be amazed. But in this instance, Proverbs chapter 6 says, if you catch a thief in the act of stealing, and it's not because he's hungry, Okay, if somebody's stealing because they're hungry, because they need food, give them some food. But for any other reason, if you catch a thief in the act of stealing, for any other reason, and you catch him in the act, you can make him pay it back sevenfold, seven times what he was stealing. So you know what? We've got to start making the devil accountable that whenever we catch him coming in and trying to, trying to distract, trying to sow a little discord, trying to do a little this and a little that, put your hand on your hip and say, in Jesus' name, I caught you red-handed. You got to pay it back. Seven times. That's not according to my authority. It's according to the authority of the word and the word. Amen? That's it. That's all we need. And so what's going to happen is, see, Satan doesn't like to work. 
He's good at what he does, but he doesn't like to work for it. And what happens is if you keep calling him out, eventually you get too expensive for him to mess with. And he is going to go on to an easier mark. How do I know that? It says if you'll resist him, he will flee. So whenever we begin to resist him and nullify his works instead of magnify them, instead of saying, oh, I can't believe that they said that. Oh, that just makes me so mad. Who's fallen into the trap? That person may not have ever known that they did something, said something that hurt your feelings. But if we walk around all tenderhearted and, and, and with a magnifying glass, I will guarantee you whatever you are looking for, you will find. It's called reticular recognition. It's part of our brain function. It is that little part of our brain that whenever we get honed in on something that we began to see it. I've told you about this before. It is just part of our brain and how it functions. But if you begin to look for, say you're going to buy a new car. And you decide this is the car I want, this is the color I want. What in days past would have never even got your attention. It might be, okay, I'm going to get me a 2018 Toyota Camry. And I want it white. And that's going to be the car that I get. You're going to start seeing that car everywhere you go. It might not be your color. You might say, well, I like that, but that's not, that's not the color I wanted. Oh, there's another one. You're driving down the highway. Oh, there's one in the oncoming lane. Ooh, let me get back over where I belong. Pull up at Walmart. You're going to see that car. Go to the dealership. As soon as you drive on their lot, boom. Why is that? Two weeks ago, you didn't know what car you wanted, and you never saw a 2018 Toyota Camry. It's because it's called reticular recognition. It's just part of how God made us. And here's the thing. If you start saying, start thinking, man, everybody's against me. Guess what? Everything's going to work in that direction. It's like I heard about the guy one time. He said, my doctor says I'm paranoid, but that's just because he hates me. And so whatever we are looking for, we are destined to find it. So if we began to nullify the works of the enemy, if we began to see things in the Scripture where we can hold Satan accountable, then guess what? We're going to see lots of opportunities to do that. And we're going to say, Satan, I see you trying to come in and steal my joy. I see you trying to set a trap for me over here. I see you trying to, trying to put temptation in my path. But guess what? I have caught you in the act. Woo, you're going to pay, boy, you're going to pay. And ultimately, he's a whole lot smaller than any of us even think. And Isaiah tells us, on that day, whenever we face judgment and we finally see everything for what it is, that we're going to look on Satan and we're going to say, this is the person that struck fear into the hearts of the nations? This? He's a whole lot smaller and a whole lot less powerful than, than sometimes we make him out to be. What we've got to do is nullify everything he does, become way, way, way too expensive for him to mess with. And guess what? If we'll resist him, the Bible's very clear on it. He will flee. He'll go to an easier mark. He'll go to, he'll go to somebody that doesn't know that Proverbs chapter 6 scripture. And so what we've got to do is call him out 
every time we see him acting and make him pay according to Jesus' word. Somebody say amen. So we've got to nullify, not magnify. And then we've got to go into all the world. That's the G. And somebody said, hallelujah, I heard you say it. We finally spelled this word. We've got to go into all the world. It is our job, number one. It's the very thing that Jesus left us here. See, if it hadn't been for making disciples, if it hadn't been for winning other people to Christ, he could have taken care of the job himself. And as soon as we made a commitment to Jesus, boom, we could have been translated to heaven. And some of you are saying, oh, wouldn't that be sweet? But it wouldn't have allowed us to grow by faith. It wouldn't have allowed us to become part of what God's doing. See, God wanted us to be a part of this. It wasn't just that it happened to us, that it can happen through us. Coming up Easter, we're going to give two opportunities for you to invite people to come with you. I realize Easter's a busy time, but Zach and I have been planning on this for a while. We're going to have a Saturday night, Sunday morning. Whichever one you can make, or if you can make both of them, that's Jim Dandy too. Uh, but we're going to give you the opportunity to invite somebody. Maybe you got family stuff going on on Sunday and it's just runs you crazy trying to get it all done. Bring your neighbor, bring your friend, bring your family member Saturday night, 6 o'clock. That's the, the 31st of March. Then on April 1st, Easter Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate it all again. So if you come Saturday night and you really like it, then make plans to come back. Amen, Zach? <laughs> we got a lot, of, a lot of good stuff planned. But... The deal that I, I want you to realize is we've got to get busy. Our job, number one, is to win people to Christ. Be out there talking about the good news, telling our testimony, telling about what God's done for us. It is our testimony. You've heard me say this many, many times. Our testimony is the most powerful thing that you can talk about. What God did for me. You may not have a huge, big testimony. But it's one that God reached down, touched my heart. You've heard me give my testimony many, many, many times about where I was in life, about how I met Jesus, and about making a, a commitment to Him. And it changed my life forever. But what happens is, sometimes we're so busy out there winning people, and, and, and we're bringing them, and, and you know, we're fishers of men. So we're bringing them. And then, gosh, we, we end up with several in the house. And what happens is we become keepers of the aquarium instead of fishers of men. And, and you know, we, we've got to have a place to meet. There's things like that. But sometimes we get so completely wrapped up in that that we become keepers of the aquarium instead of being out there winning people. It's not a, not a strange analogy that... Uh, Back at the first of the year, I felt like we needed to put the names of people that need to be in the kingdom, that need to be saved, that need to be here. Amen? This, this is what we're doing. And so the, the thing that I want to tell you is, if our heart is not toward winning people, our heart is not aligned with God. And the only thing to do is say, hmm, who's in the wrong there? It wouldn't be... God, <laughs> we need to get our heart lined up for evangelism. And sometimes in church world, evangelism sometimes becomes a dirty word. 
Because we've all heard about it, talked about it. It's just ad infinitum and ad nauseum sometimes. But it's God's heart. Go out there and compel people to come in that his house might be full. And sometimes we're not at all caring about that. It's about how's the aquarium? What's the aquarium looking like? How's the sound in the aquarium? Instead of being out there winning people. Right now, as we sit in this room, best guesstimates, 7.6 billion people in the world right now. I'm sure that changed just a little bit from when I started the billion. Because there's lots of people being born. 7.6 billion people. Can you wrap your brain around that? I cannot. That's a lot of people. 7.6, look at your neighbor and say billion people in this world at this present moment. Of that 7.6 billion people, roughly estimated the number of Christians in that number, 7.6 billion, out of that number, 2.2 billion are Christians. That means with some quick math that there's 5.4 billion people in this world that do not know Jesus Christ. 5.4 billion people that don't know Christ at this very minute. If you take the present statistics of how many births and deaths there are at any given time, right now, today, there'll be 151,000 people die today that will leave this planet, do some quick math again, about one-third of that big number are Christians, so you can figure that of that small number, the 151,000 people, about a third of those are Christians. So with some quick figures, some big numbers, some big broad strokes, that means that today, 100,000 people will die without Jesus Christ. If we believe our Bibles... If they die without Christ, then where does that mean they're going? To hell. I'm not saying that. The Bible says that. If we sincerely believe that the Bible is true, and I do, says Jesus is the only way. The only way to get to the Father. The only way to get to heaven. So today, since we started this service, 8,000 people have died and gone I don't know about you, it makes me uncomfortable. And it should. Because 8,000 people, since we started this service, 8,000 people have died. So we got three fish in here. So if I can manage to catch them. Okay, there's one third. Put the Christian back in there. Two-thirds have died and gone to hell. They're on the table. Most of you are way more concerned about those two fish than the 8,000 people that died and went to hell. Our hearts need to be toward evangelism. 
If a goldfish can touch our hearts, why can't 